0: I'm Nurse Jessica Seitz, along with Nurse Erica. We're Nurses Uncorked, the podcast that takes nursing facts with nursing comedy and makes a little cocktail out of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Nurses Uncorked. Happy Tuesday, if you're listening today on a Tuesday. That's when we put out our podcast recordings. Welcome back. It's myself, Nurse Jessica Seitz. And my lovely blonde bombshell co-host, Nurse Erica. How do you like that introduction, Erica? That sounds good, doesn't it? I think it's just because I did my hair for once. That's kind of wavy. I like <laughs> it. It's looking, looking good. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. We hope you stick around and you, like, and you enjoy this uh, podcast. We're excited today about a, a guest that we have. This is the first time we've ever... Actually, that's not true. Second time we've had an author on here. I got to correct yes. that we yeah, have John, John John Edward, Edward. one time yeah. yes mm-hmm. um but today we have a new york times bestselling author his name is tom Mueller, and we are getting into um a very hot topic today tom has written a book called how to make a killing and this book um honestly after uh reading and and going over all the the notes And things about the book, I was very surprised about what's going on in the dialysis industry. Um, And Tom has dived deep into this topic by interviewing multiple, multiple uh, healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, nephrologists, all sorts of people. And we're going to get into that topic. But first, Tom, welcome to Nurses Uncorked. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today, Tom?
1: Thank you very much, Jessica. And thank you, Erica. Um, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to have this conversation. And uh yes, there is a lot going on in the dialysis industry, um, and a lot that needs fixing, at least in my view.
2: Yeah, that sounds I, like I it. have to tell you that um we've talked a few times, but look at look at my book here. I've got a copy of your book for those that are watching the video, and it's got so many tabs in it, and it's highlighted throughout, and I have all these notes because what a nerd this... Erica. I know. I know. I am such oh, a I nerd. I have to disagree this
1: is the author's dream when someone oh, interacts.
2: Oh, that's so
0: cute.
1: That's, that's so amazing. beautiful to see all those little stickets and and marks and everything else it means is someone is really engaged, really engaged with the work um, I am. and uh, and especially coming, you know, uh, from a highly trained medical professional that means a lot to me. So,
2: terrific. Oh. Thank you.
0: Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. If you're wondering where you can find this book um, by Tom Muller, How to Make a Killing, um, there is a link in the description of this video that you can click on. And there is also going to be a 20% off code that's in the description of the video as well that you can use to purchase um, the book that they've been so generous to offer us. Um, So if you're interested at all in finding the book and using the discount code, that would be great. And we are also, for our listeners, giving away five books. They've been so nice to donate five free books. So if you'd like to possibly get a free book, um, all you have to do is go to nursesuncorked.com and put your name in for our email list. And we will be doing a random drawing, um, let's say, by the end of this week, maybe by by Friday. So um, if you're listening between now and Friday, um, get on in there and put in your email and sign up and we will be announcing the winners at the end of this week.
2: You know, I thought that I knew a significant amount about the corruption in the dialysis industry, but I was blown away when I read your book. It's, it's so much worse than I could have ever imagined. And I already knew that it was, I've said for years, it, it's probably the most corrupt industry in the healthcare industry, short of maybe like insurance companies. You know, I mean, it's up there with like the HCAs of the world. It is so corrupt. But from reading your book, I was shocked at things like that we're going to get into, like the one size fits all, dialysis care, um, the strategic lab drawing, uh, the involuntary discharges, the blackballing from other clinics. Um, the, the I love the musketeer story. I'm sure we'll get into that. But, but yeah, blown away. And I've been promising for years to all the dialysis nurses and techs out there that follow me that I would one day do a deep dive into the dialysis industry and we're finally going to do it. I've put it off way too long and I'm so glad that you had the courage to write this book because we're going to turn the dialysis industry upside down and talk all about it.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, you know, it's when you give to huge corporations that are really financial corporations um, the power of life and death over people. And you have, you know, they essentially control 80 percent of treatments in 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 America. Um, and at the same time, you have a, a, a medical condition that makes patients extraordinarily vulnerable uh, and, and they can't shop around. Uh, they need something near their home. Uh, if you have all of these situations, it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm for patients. It's a perfect storm for workers, uh, and it's a perfect storm for taxpayers who are ultimately, you know, paying through Medicare, Medicaid, and other programs a lot of money. Seven uh, percent of the entire Medicare um, budget goes into dialysis, and that's only one percent of Medicare patients. I do want to say, starting off, that although I do focus, my book does focus on some of the really dark sides of dialysis i also have met many and interviewed many first-rate wonderful compassionate caring and expert um, nephrologists registered nurses and techs i do not want to paint everyone in the industry with with the same brush uh, bad things are happening but there are a lot of good people out there and i think more than anything else it's a it's caused by um, bad structures you know they say um, uh, you know it's not a bad apple makes the barrel go bad. It's bad barrels that make bad apples and if you're stuck mm-hmm. in a in a in a workplace that that stresses high throughput, fast on and off, numbers and money rather than patient care, it's going to be very hard for you to keep your faith with the patient. It's just those are the facts of life. so many of my best interviews have been with really principled workers again, from senior nephrologists to, to junior techs on the on the blood floor who who suffer some level of really, you know, moral harm um, from what they're being forced to do. And they realize that they're not able to take care of their patients the way they want to.
2: They hear from those nurses and techs all the time, and it's one horror story after another. But yeah, you made an, import, an important point. Um, they are struggling, it is moral injury and it's it's a very uphill battle which we'll talk about but you now you're not you're not you don't have a clinical background correct
1: no that's correct no i'm so, a, I'm an investigative journalist Um, my my approach to this was was strictly from a whistleblowing point of view not not from a medical point of view
2: so uh tom you mentioned whistleblowing um and that's because I know your background is investigative reporting, but your your last book, I believe it was your last book, was all about whistleblowing. That was your your New York Times bestseller, right? So it kind of seems like a natural progression <laughs> into dialysis. But how did you even start to tackle? What made you want to tackle this huge subject?
1: No, that's a good question. I definitely whistleblowing was the doorway into this, um, and. And in my whistleblower book, I looked at, you know, national security whistleblowers, the usual suspects of so banks and and big pharma, um, nuclear cleanup um, and nuclear power plants, various other places where there's serious whistleblowing going on. And one of the industries that I, that I kind of bumped into while looking for really good whistleblower stories was dialysis. These whistleblowers, one was a nephrologist, one was a a uh, registered nurse, and one was a finance person, all of whom brought massive losses. I mean, we're talking $400, $500 million settlements reached um, um, against big, big dialysis companies. And I thought, and, and those big dialysis companies continue to prosper, by the way. It's not like they went out of business. They Their stock price continued to rise, and everyone continued yeah. to cheer on Wall yeah, cause, Street. Because that's like I, a
2: Starbucks to them. It doesn't really hurt them. They have more money than God and the King of England and J.K. Rowling combined.
0: More than Taylor <laughs> Swift? Wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well,
2: well, let's
1: get carried away. But they do have a lot of money.
0: No, so, sure I mean they it, do. it was
1: extraordinary and I I did, had a brief stint in banking. Um and and you know, I, I, so I saw um I worked at Goldman Sachs for a while. Nobody's perfect, right? Um and I um I, I had a uh, a very very clear look at what f- uh, finance companies want in healthcare companies and in other companies for that matter. Um, you know, a lot of income and a lot of predictable income. And and I started looking at these two, you know, Fresenius and Novita, which are the two market leaders from the point of view of both whistleblowing and and banking. And I was just fascinated by these companies. They're um, they're quite unusual corporate culture and everything else. Um, and and then I started talking to, to caregivers, uh, nurses, and techs in particular on the blood floor at dialysis facilities, and I started talking to patients. And that's when I went from, isn't that interesting, to this has got to change.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: cannot stand. Um, and it took me a long time to believe it, to be honest with you. I spent almost six years reporting wow. and wow. researching this part part of it was when i thought it was going to be a chapter in my whistleblower book and part afterwards <laughs> when i realized no 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 this is a separate book right this is this is its own book and right. it's a story of dialysis in america but it's also in a way the story of healthcare in america um yes. how for profit um, publicly traded massive corporations roll up industries and get immense market power and immense political power um, you know kind of uh, capture their regulators and live a happy life. And not so much at all times for their patients uh, or for the workers, um, for the people who work in these facilities. And, you know, that's true of dialysis, but as I found, as I work, you know, people talk a lot about um, private equity, buying up um, entire swaths of the American uh, medical system and that's a big problem. But dialysis, very similar, uh, very similar dynamics. 20 years earlier. Um, and, uh, and in fact, Kent Theory, who, who founded uh, DaVita, um, he, he came from Bain Capital, which is private equity. So it's the same kind of idea, um, how you, you know, take over a facility, minimize costs, maximize throughput and income, and, um, and talk a mean game to Wall Street. That's a, that's a great recipe for success.
2: You mentioned Kent Theory. He's the former CEO of DaVita Dialysis for about 27 years. Uh, and this is in your book. It um, <laughs> It's so bad that I have to laugh at it. Uh, so he famously once said in a speech, it's not about the patients. I would run Taco Bells the same way I run dialysis. Applying this fast oh. food model to healthcare. What could possibly be wrong with that?
1: You know, it's, it's amazing. It sounds insane uh, when, you, when you listen to it, but in fact, he is by no means the, the person to invent that notion. Fast food medicine goes back to the 60s and the roll-up of, of many, many uh, community hospitals by, you know, um, by HCA and various other uh, Columbia, big um, chains of for-profit hospitals. and And the notion of fast food medicine I mean you have Atul Gawande Dr Atul Gawande um defending um Cheesecake Factory Medicine um in in the New Yorker he's a very smart what does that person
0: mean, and Cheesecake Factory Medicine Sounds better than Taco Bell I don't know <laughs> but
1: on, on the face of it if you say I want to reduce um the costs I want to make um every um medical activity every every medical uh treatment systemized and standardized. I want to have rules. So everyone washes their hands before they insert meat. you know, all these sorts of things. In pra- in theory, it sounds good. In practice, you give the bean counters, the finance people, um, total control. Um, it's going to go south on you. It's going to go south on you because it- it's going to go from, you know, <laughs> what's that? Sister Irina Kraus, the famous um, nurse who ran a huge hospital uh, system back in the day, no margin, no mission, fair enough, right? If you go bankrupt, your hospital will closed. But when the margin becomes a mission, then you're in deep, dark trouble. And that's and that's where we are. And, and people, uh, I had to break the news to you, people are not burritos. They are not <laughs> tacos. Great. And if you prepare them and treat them with a one-size-fits-all, as fast as you can, low-cost model, um, they're going to suffer. They're going to die sooner than they should.
0: Sounds like healthcare workers everywhere are working for Cheesecake Factory and Taco Bell. Yeah, is what I mean. Today, that sounds like the last place they left. It it, sounds like they implemented that model really well. It's become Uh, it's become
1: the sort of the you know gold standard in in a lot of places. The problem again is that we have put the CEO the CFOs in charge. We put mm -hmm. uh, business school people in charge, and and they don't care about the same things that you not folks at do, all. that right. they do not care about, they don't have the same priorities. And yet, society and Wall Street applaud that. And we need yep, to change the reaction that they're getting. Um, yes. We need to not applaud a kind of um, you know prioritization where you say, "I if I were running Taco Bell, I'd be doing the same things. That is not admirable. Even if no. Harvard Business School stands up and gives you a standing oh. that's mm. not good. That it's won't work well for patients.
2: Wasn't it the former, uh, HCA CEO, I believe that had a background prior to becoming the CEO of HCA, uh, as, um, CEO of, what was it? Like Burger King and Kentucky
1: Fried Chicken and and Wendy's. You bet. I mean, this is, this is the original fast food medicine, right? It's It's insane. You're looking good. (laughs) Just, just wash your hands after you lick them, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
0: Scary stuff.
1: (sighs) Yeah, it There's is stuff. But again, it's we stand, we stand and applaud these people um, mm-hmm. for their business acumen, and we don't even say, "Well, wait a second, hang on. Okay, you're doing real well on Wall Street, but how are your patients doing?
2: Yeah, no one how cares. How are they doing? They don't care.
1: Uh, yeah, and 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 the weird thing is, that all of us sooner or later are going to get sick, and all of us sooner or later are going to need folks like you. Yep. In a position to do your jobs right.
0: Everybody not, forgets that when they don't need know, it, they forget that. You know,
1: people yeah. that you have to take care of at the same time. I mean, that's just not going to work. Um, no. So anyway, it sounds obvious, but apparently in America, it is not obvious, and we've let we've let the finance people take charge, and we have got to take that charge back.
0: How's actually? I have a two-part question to this question. What has the response been to your book in general from media from? anybody. But also, I was also wondering, what was the response of people as you were interviewing them about this topic during your six years of research? Were were healthcare workers willing to talk about it? Were they... Um, so it's kind of a twofold about response.
1: Uh, very good question. Um, first of all, the response from media to my book being published has been dead silence. I have never seen anything like the lack of interest in the mainstream media to, to this book. And, you know, it... Uh, it may be self serving to say it but this may be an indication partly of why this problem got so big in the first place is that the mainstream media was asleep at the switch um but they're not interested in things that are kind of icky or hard hitting uh i don't know it's uh, it's it's been strange the uh, the good news is that the response from people inside the industry has been overwhelming i have received a, a tsunami of messages from from registered nurses who are Let's face it. The you know the, the kind of moral core uh, of of healthcare in America, from techs, from patients, from their families, from a bunch of nephrologists who have had enough, right? And yeah. that comes here next. That comes to your next question. Um, how do people react to Mike asking uh, about their experiences? And mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I think things. My impression was, you know, people are nervous um, because you're dealing with very large, very litigious companies, um, in some cases, uh, and serious allegations. But I think things have gotten so bad, my impression is that things have gotten so bad. And people, uh, workers in particular, um, because patients, you know, quite often, they don't know what's going on. They don't understand. They really, that's the heartbreaking thing for me is that so many patients have written me since the book came out and said, now I get it. I thought it was just my I thought it was just my clinic. I realized it's a business model. Why so, but bad. anyway, um, coming back to workers, they know what's going on, most cases, um, and they don't like it. And and yet, you know, hey, it's their job and, and, and they're concerned about their mortgage and all this. So, But they, things have gotten so bad that they were willing to talk. Um, and I made it clear yeah. to them, I made it clear to them that... Our first conversation is always off the record. I mean, these, I, I break sort of certain journalistic rules. I always go off the record first. We have a completely off the record conversation. They get to ask some questions to me, what kind mm-hmm. of a person I am. Do you trust, do you trust me? What, what am I gonna do with this information? What kind, of a, you know, what kind of approach I'm taking? And only then do we have a real interview. Um, and, and many times people um, who had that first conversation, you know, some people ran away from me, you know, as quickly as they could um, or just never got back. But many people agreed to speak. And of those people, many people insisted on being on the record. Um, That's and great. I can't tell you how, how great that is. It's, it's a risk. And some of them have been slapped around um, since the book came out. But they, mm-hmm. they knew what they were doing and, and they're standing up sends such an important message. A, it's much more believable because someone says, I am this person, Magellan Hanford. And, right. and I say that this is what happened. Um, you know, Leonard Stern, uh, you know, these names weigh a lot, right? It's not some anonymous person saying, alleging this, right? It's a real right. person with a real background and real yeah. experience. But also people who read that say, yeah, yeah. And I can do that too. And that's why I think so many people since the book has come out have written to me and said, "You forgot something. Here, here are the documents. <laughs> you, you should add this. And you're right about this, but you missed this. And here's the proof." Wow. I mean, wow. it's been it's been it's been overwhelming. Um, Part but, two, but heartening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's been very heartening to see the people really. I mean, it, it's bad news, right? Because things have gotten so bad that yeah. people, you know, but it's good news that people are saying, right, enough is enough. Let's
2: is. Make this change. I'm so glad that they're speaking out because that is not common in the nursing profession. Unfortunately, um, we are very much um, kind of figuratively beaten into submission and threatened with retaliation. We, cause every, every, which way we turn, we see our coworkers being retaliated against if they speak up. And so nurses in general, very often don't. So it's good to hear that they have been willing to speak with you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: No, I was just going to say your nurse's license is at risk. Your, your, you know, your livelihood is at risk. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do
0: what they did, but I'm glad they did it. I feel like it, you know, you were saying that it hasn't blown up the book yet in, in media yet. Um, and it seems like, especially with like, like big pharma, like, you know, things that have gone on with, um prescription medications, a lot of times it doesn't really get attention until it blows up, until there's some huge um, outing, whether it be some huge ginormous lawsuit or something that's forcing them to change their ways before it actually gets. I feel like they It. I mean, do you find that as well? Like it's because nobody wants to really talk about it because these, it's not like a full story yet. You know what I mean? Until like, these changes have been implemented, it's kind of like, okay, but you're talking about it, but what's happening? What do you think it's about a, that?
1: You no, know, I think you're right, Jessica. I mean, it's a complicated world. Uh, it took me a long time to get my bearings in the dialysis industry to understand who gets paid what and how are you making the money and so on. How is it possible to make so much money in, in an industry? Uh, so it took me a long time to understand it, and I can imagine someone coming to it for the first time saying, "Whoa, what what's this about dialysis? Wow, I don't know." Right. Um, but yeah, I think I think um, it will be a slow developing play. I think that it does have enough connections. A, it's compelling in its own right, and and it ain't right. It ain't right for workers. It it's ain't right not. for patients. It ain't right for taxpayers. But it's also, as I said before, it's a kind of a it's kind of a microcosm of what's going wrong with American healthcare more broadly. And if we can figure out what to do about this set of problems, then we'll have tools that maybe we can use to solve bigger problems or more widespread problems.
2: Yeah. Uh, what surprised you most about researching this book and uh, writing this book? Uh,
1: you know, first that this kind of stuff could actually happen. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, there are regulators, right? And they're regulating, yeah. aren't
2: they? In the theory. Uh, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no pun intended, but it, yeah, it's um, you know, there's there's there, there's an ESRD networks, eighteen different you know entities that that founded by Congress to oversee this industry, and and frankly, I mean, I couldn't get any of them on the phone. I again, I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush. I have heard reports of some first rate people in individual networks, but I talked with four people who. Had worked in the ESRD networks at a pretty high level, um, and all four just said that this this system has been has been gutted, has been emptied out, uh, has been squeezed for cash by CMS, and mm-hmm. and outsourced to these you know um, quality improvement organizations, um, which basically win on the basis of low bids. Um, so, and I tried several times to reach the ESRD networks, including when I wanted to get a comment about my book. I, had, I said these things about the ESRD networks. I wanted to give right. them an opportunity to respond. <laughs> all I got was a f- maxed out answering machine. That's the best I could do. Wow. So if I'm wow. a patient and I have troubles and I call and all I get is a maxed out answering machine, that is not helpful. I do not find that to be a useful use no, of taxpayer not dollars. Not Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I could be missing something here. But that ain't good. And, you know, the state uh, state by state is, I'm sure, very different. But the states where I looked hard, um, there wasn't a whole lot of of arm's length dealing with the regulators and the and, uh, you know, people talked about, oh, you know, the surprise visits by the state authorities would be announced in advance. (laughs) <laughs> and people would staff up
2: the to surprise, be ready to look at you know,
1: yes. their game face on, yeah. you know, yeah. and and that that's so uh, I didn't get the impression that regulation was functioning the way I would expect it to. And and I mean, just surprising also how badly America does compared to compared to so many other countries, to every other developed country. I mean, we pay way more yeah and our dialysis patients die away sooner. I mean, what's yeah. wrong with this picture? Yeah, you know, it just seemed like it like I was missing something and and a hot the more mess I, a hot mess seriously uh, yeah yeah, it's a worst case scenario, and I thought well, you know the, America was the country of the fair deal and the you know firm handshake, and let's get good value for money. Well, we're not mm-hmm. even getting good value for money so so again it it's, it was surprising on many levels
0: so. I think you've probably learned a lot, Tom. And for people that are listening today that may not know, um, obviously, you know, the nurses that are listening will know, but let's talk about kidneys. (laughs) Why is the kidney so misunderstood? And why has it been misunderstood um, in past years? So let's talk a little bit of what you've learned about that.
1: Yeah, I mean they—they are kind of mysterious, aren't they? I mean, even even in the past, (laughs) um, you know, people—they're kind of tucked away. They're not in the sort of central body cavity here, whatever the technical term is. Um, And and uh, and, you know, even in the past, and the the the, uh, ancient Egyptians or Hebrews had these sort of theories about what kidneys did. They knew the heart was a pump and the brain was sort of, yes, the, seat mm-hmm. of the soul. And and, the, and people talked about, talk about guts and brains and you got heart, and you got, but they never say you got a real, you know, serious kidney going on there. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, right. I mean, people don't quite know how to, how to, how to, how to, uh classify them. I mean, they don't yeah. even eat the kidneys, right? I mean, they're not like a delicacy in, uh, in, in animals. Um, so, but but it turns out they're absolutely essential. I mean, without the kidneys doing their elaborate regulation of of all the different um I mean, creating this internal environment, homeostasis that that, you know, keeps our tissues and organs and everything functioning properly, we'd be toast. And our brain and our heart and our and our liver would rapidly fall by the wayside. So it turns out that they're like the um the conductor of, a, of the great symphony of the body. And, and that's pretty oh, I like mysterious. That and
2: yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, basically they're, yeah, they're when they cleaning fail. the blood, you know, um, yeah. to make it really simplistic. Healthy kidneys will clean, filter about a liter of blood per minute, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, nonstop, 24-7. And, and, and they remove excess fluid, which is something I had no idea And it turns out if you stop removing, if you stop urinating, uh, you are in a world of heart very fast. Yes, Um, And and that's something that even people who work in dialysis sometimes don't quite appreciate. They're thinking, you know, KT over V, urea, and and they're not thinking when you rip off this much fluid, what's that going to do?
2: Tom, can you speak a little bit about Claude Bernard and the internal environment?
1: Yeah, Claude Bernard was a fascinating pioneer of physiology. And he kind of, um, well, first of all, he brought science, a lot of science into the realm of medicine, uh, and and helped us get out of the sort of medieval theory of humors and, and, uh, um, you know, and into the realm of, of, of science based medicine. Um, And he also um, was a pioneer of the concept of homeostasis. Um, he called it the milieu intérieur, the internal milieu, um, the internal environment, um, which is created by the interstitial fluids, um, and helps to, you know, keep all of our organs, all of our nerve fibers, all of our muscles, everything functioning, um, whatever the temperature is outside, whatever, you know, whatever is happening in the external environment. He talked about, this internal environment being really what keeps us going, um, and uh, you know he he was a very strange and pretty extreme person. He he learned about the internal environment while doing um, these pretty savage experiments on animals. In fact, his wife and daughter came home one day and found that he had vivisected their dog. Oh
0: and so, my god! And
1: so, yeah, I mean you know she divorced him and became an animal rights activist, one of the oh first animal rights <laughs> she activists. So, he traumatized so did some her.
0: Good. Yeah, It would traumatize
1: me. I'll tell you. So he was a pretty extreme dude, but, um, but also had some amazing, um, insights into how the body works. And, and he realized that kidneys were a fundamental part of maintaining that internal balance.
0: So we talked about the kidney and what it does and what its importance is, but what for people that don't understand, why do people need dialysis? So if those kidneys are not up to par where does dialysis come in at? Let's talk about that for people that don't understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if your kidneys are functioning properly, they're, they're constantly keeping um, the byproducts of metabolism out of your bloodstream. They're all constantly removing um, uh, excess fluid. They're creating hormones that help with the red blood production, various other things. If your kidneys uh, fail, all of that goes away. Um, you no longer, I mean, if they're truly failed, you no longer pass urine and you need a machine to do what those kidneys do. Now, the, the kidneys are an amazingly elegant and effective, um, organ And, and frankly, the machines are kind of brute force. They're not as nearly as elegant. You're only on them for three, four, five hours, depending on the person per per session three times a week. If you're um, lucky, five so, hours. Yes. If you you have a very good nephrologist and you're allowed to get the kind of treatment you need. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, But, and, and, and quite often uh, the kind of treatment that, that is uh, more economically feasible for the caregiver is high speed um, removing fluid as rapidly as possible to the point where it really does harm um, uh, Mm -hmm. rather than, rather than cure. And it makes you feel terrible too. I mean,
0: you know, yeah,
1: um, I, I've said to patients, you know, I've read in very, very good places. Again, I want to I don't want to pose as a medical authority, but I've read a lot of medical authorities uh, views. So uh, I've read that you really should have longer treatments than, you know, two hours and 45 minutes. And, are you kidding? Every minute I'm on dialysis kills me. I cramp. I, I, yeah, feel nauseous. Don't I pass out.
0: That's why they feel that
1: they way it's
2: too fast.
1: Precisely. Yeah. Is this going st- back
0: to the Taco Bell model? Is this why we're doing mm-hmm. it quickly? Is that? Yeah. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah. You nailed
1: it, Jessica. That's exactly yeah. it. If the faster the throughput, those tacos go down the line, the stuff, the more you can produce per hour, and the more money you make at the end of the day. But people aren't tacos,
2: right? And, right. You know,
1: we can joke about it, and 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 I do, but. At the end of the day, this is not a laughing matter. I mean you see what it does to people. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. so yeah, it's it's uh, the the machine itself is kind of a it's kind of a brute force um, mechanism and, and it doesn't do um, the, the the filtration job that that real kidneys do. Now you can there are better machines, there are good machines and better ones coming online, and you can do it very slow and very gentle. In internal including at home home dialysis mm-hmm. is you know really really a the the ideal setup yes. for most people um again they don't want to do it because it's so miserable and they they don't want to saddle their spouse with this i get that but home dialysis it gives you the control of your life gives you the control mm-hmm. of your treatment that so and then some people do it at night right well you know yeah. while they're sleeping um yeah. that's the ideal way slow and gentle wins the Absolutely. race and that's uh fundamental. It's true
0: though. You think about it. You shovel down three bean burritos quickly <laughs> from Taco Bell. You don't feel so good. True. <laughs> you know what That's I mean? True. Right. Good analogy. Yeah. I mean, I like Absolutely. this Taco Bell model. It's true. You, I mean, you, you try to do stuff fast and move it quickly and you're not feeling right. But yeah, I can yeah. see why a patient would not complain because they'd be like, why would I want to do this longer? Like it doesn't make sense they in don't their understand. mind. Yeah. Yeah, they right. don't
1: understand that they that that it's killing them. Um, that not only do they feel crappy, but they're shortening their lives um, by by abbreviating. But you know, and but then also nephrologists will say, well, you know, my patients they say, oh no, they refuse. To. Uh, yeah, because you're giving them bazooka dialysis. as one of yeah. my Australian nephrologists said they, you're giving it to them in doses and in ways. And again, I'm not a nephrologist, but I've read a lot. And these people seem to ignore the obvious, and that is, first of all, the, this fluid control is really secondary for a lot of people that I've that I've spoken to. Like fluid control, yeah, just rip off that fluid. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! Hang on a second. Gentle with that ripping off. Right. right. That's, that's dangerous. Uh, that'll kill people. Um, that's why heart, you know, coronary arrests are a big problem in in dialysis because you're overloading the pump to put, uh, put it can in you, layman's can terms. Can you
0: imagine so, and if a time. nephrologist really, like, really educated them and said, hey, listen, I see you're uncomfortable, um, but let's give this a try. If we elongate it, I've you know, actually heard that it's less painful, so I know you're so uncomfortable, but if we stretch it out, your body's not going to respond quite the same way. But it's a twofold thing. Like The patients need to be educated about that because – As long as money is a priority, that's the way it's going to be shown to them is that that's the only way to do it. Let's get it over with and get, uh, it hurts. So let's go, let's get it done so you can get in and get out and not feel this anymore. But it comes from education. It's like that if we could just teach people, I mean, but just imagine if they did that, that would be like making so much better.
2: It's also that, um. The the nephrologist might order it appropriately for a longer time at the proper um filtration rate and all that. But then they get there to Davita or Persenius and they're like, Nope, we can do that in three and a half hours or whatever. So now you have the company dictating instead of the doctor.
0: And That's and, illegal. and talk about that sounds illegal. I mean
1: yeah, uh, yeah, it should be. It's like changing uh, an
0: order. It's like why? Why can they do that?
1: Yeah, the problem is that in in you know, in many in in the big companies that you have a standing order or you have a corporate uh, protocols for the practice of of dialysis and my impression is looking at these that they are optimized for profits rather than for individualized patient care. And I have spoken with some senior nephrologists whom I quote in my book, who have um, had their prescriptions for patients um, countermanded um, or their requests for an extra day of treatment resisted. Um, And and the way one of them put it was, "You know, you can you can insist and you can insist and you can take it up the chain of command and you can threaten. At the end of the day, you know, they do what they want. They're going to win." and they do what they want. And, and, and let's face it, this is another thing I didn't quite do justice to in my book, but it's another important issue here is the silent partner in all of this is CMS. Um, yes. because I mean, yes. you, you, the pay, the people who determine how much is paid for an individual uh, and, treatment and that centers or whether, for
2: Medicaid or, and Medicare for people that don't know.
1: Exactly. The people who administer Medicare and Medicaid payments and, you know, the, the, if, if you want home dialysis to be equally um, practiced as in-center dialysis, you better create the proper financial incentives for that to occur. Until mm-hmm. very recently, that was not the case, and there are still some disincentives to home dialysis. Um, you better make um, assisted home dialysis uh, chargeable to Medicare. That is not the case right now. So how do yeah. you learn? Okay, you go into the clinic and you learn there, but then then you go home. You should. I mean, this is if you want this to happen, you better pay for it. And CMS, unfortunately, has been asleep at the switch. I mean, again, they are in cost management mode. They're not in what's best for our citizens mode. Of course, and, I, and that's a bad mode in to be in. Therein lies
2: the problem. Yeah,
1: therein lies the problem. So it's a it's I it's easy to beat up on the big corporations, and I'm not defending. What they do but th- there's another side of this issue and that has to do with how the government is is administering the payment
2: well and medicare for all Let, let's dive into um <clears throat> medicare for all because that's kind of the underlying theme i think throughout your book and so um dialysis still to this day is the one and only right so can you speak to that because I, I did not realize this, to be honest. And I don't think a lot of people realize this.
1: Yeah, it, you have to cast your mind back to the 1960s and early 70s when dialysis really was an absolute medical miracle. I mean, the mm-hmm. first time that a machine had been used to replace a vital human organ. I mean, total breakthrough. And people who were doomed to, sudden, to, to certain death in the space of days, all of a sudden, could live ten years, twenty years. Um, it was truly miraculous. At the same time, kidney transplants were happening. The first human organ transplantation yeah. was happening in the same same sort of yeah. time. These are huge breakthroughs. And the and the older nephrologists that you know that I that I spoke to, they remember the seventies as this time of super excitement. Like we are on the cutting edge. Of, it really was. It was cutting science. edge. Yeah. Yeah and 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 what they did was incredible um the problem is it cost a lot of money and there were very very few machines around so as the word started to get out hey you're no longer doomed to death if you can get a seat in a in a dialysis treatment center you can live for years all of a sudden needless to say a lot of people who would just have been told, told the bad news by their doctor and gone home and died uh were lining up with these Places saying meet you know, and they actually in Seattle one of the um, absolute cutting edge um, University of Washington program under uh, Dr. Belding Scribner cutting edge dialysis they created this panel um, which uh, you know they they called it an admissions panel but it was rapidly nicknamed the God panel or life and death panel and basically yeah. you know it's like it, you know real death panels I mean honest to goodness ones where. People a group of young, I deciding I think they who had was going to live right yes, they decided who would live and who would die, and quite often that had to do with you know um how much money they had uh it had to do with the, the, they couldn't be younger than i think it was eighteen and older than forty five so everyone on the outside go home and die uh there were a whole bunch of you know and they and they of course rejected a, a very large number of people for everyone that accepted um and this rapidly it was there was a big write up in life magazine they decide who lives and dies there was a big news um edwin newman a a big anchor person did a, a huge exposé on this exposé just a sort of an analysis of what's going on these people are deciding who lives and who dies mm-hmm. and it was quite it's quite moving so congress starts looking into this and they actually have hearings where a new york Upstate New York's shoe salesman dialyzes on the floor of the House Ways and Means Committee um, and explains. (laughs) Wait, wait, say that again.
2: Say that again, because I think people aren't going to pick up on that. Picture this. (laughs) Now say it again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Imagine this scene, a shoe salesman from upstate New York dialyzing on the floor of the House Ways and Means Committee and explaining after the treatment to this rapt (laughs) group of, of. Congress people, um, just how much dialysis costs and how his future, his ability to see his kids grow, his ability wow. to keep his house was determined by whether or not he could afford these these treatments. And if he couldn't, mm-hmm. of course, he would he would be dead. And, mm-hmm. and he, 1972 was a long time ago, but not that long ago. It was also a time when, and this seems, makes it sound like, you know, 4,000 years ago, when Republicans and Democrats agreed that some form of national health would absolutely be passed in the next few years. It was assumed that we would have a national health plan just like every other developed country. Thank right. you very much right on the thank you mm-hmm. and um and, and and so dialysis became this sort of test case for health care for all um and and because of its sort of newsworthiness, because it's, you know, b- cutting edge, breakthrough medicine that saved countless lives, but cost a lot of money. They decided to make, uh, you know, to guarantee dialysis treatment for all American citizens. And it, it became under Medicare, became um, Medicare for all for dialysis. Uh, and when, you know, Richard Nixon, of all people, signed it into law in 1972, m- the vast majority of uh, right, left, and center in Congress assumed that that was step one of a blanket healthcare coverage for all Americans. But Mm -hmm. then Watergate happened, Vietnam happened, Nixon fell, Carter came in, oil embargo, stagflation, and the entire country pivoted from let's build a great society, you know, the Lyndon Johnson Great Society, to Mm -hmm. let's manage our costs. Let's keep our costs low. And this will remind you of what we were saying earlier about cost cutting. That's, that's where we've been ever since, you know, let's not worry about building a a healthcare system that takes care of our citizens as a right um, of citizenship. No, let's manage those costs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that has not worked out so well. Uh, But, but at the time it created a a payment model that allowed countless people in America to, with kidney failure, to be treated and to live and to live, you know, to, to, to live for decades in some cases.
2: Yeah, and so they had so, a, a guaranteed payment reimbursement, right? So so the dialysis companies were incentivized, right?
1: Yeah, and and Congress also made it an extra incentive for people any, you know, big companies, small companies, individual doctors to open facilities because they needed to create facilities like yesterday. I mean, a lot of people were dying because of lack of treatment. Um so the early phase was you know, a lot of people um, opening up dialysis facilities of very irregular quality, some very high quality, like the mm-hmm. best um, in 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 Seattle in, in at, at the Brigham at Harvard and various other places, and some very poor quality, very kind of uh, mom and pop in the worst possible sense. Uh, I've heard these horror stories of the early, you know, uh, dialysis facilities on wheels in campers and various other things. It was it was a very irregular, uh, uh, you know, situation and and a lot of a lot of substandard care.
0: So you know, I'm I'm understanding and I'm hearing here about you know, obviously, I'm I'm wondering is this where the difference comes in, like as far as you know, having a private insurance versus you know having one that's Medicare or or whatever the difference may be, and and that's why they're getting sub sub-treatment because they're not getting paid as much as like a private insurance company would is that
1: yeah i you know the the, the sort of the, the fact that we did not get a single-payer um, national health plan left a lot of legacy things in place um and and private and public health coverage has become right. this huge divide and i'm sure it's not in just in dialysis but I noticed it intensely in dialysis because the privately insured patients are worth a lot more financially. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes as much as ten times more. Um, they are able to charge um, the the private insurers a great deal more than they can charge Medicare, and that creates de facto uh, a kind of a two class system: the the yes. public
2: and the privately insured. They won't ever discharge a patient that has private insurance for the most part, right?
0: But they wanna rapidly discharge the other ones.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I hate to say that. Uh, You know, it's the fact is that um, when you create, again, financial incentives um, that make certain people worth 10 times more than others, three times more, five times, sometimes 10 times more, they are going to get the red carpet treatment. They Mm -hmm. are gonna get the golden shift. They're gonna get the special kid glove treatment. Yeah. And and the ones that aren't, you know, um, they could be taking up a chair that could be filled by someone who is. So, you know, I've had I've had nephrologists say, hey, look, you know, the the, the publicly insured patients, they're just taking up chairs that we could be using for privately insured patients. That's sinister. And, you yes. know, I'm not sure I'm not sure people sit down at the table and figure out, OK, now let's see who we discharge. But it happened when you create We were talking about bad barrels, create bad apples. This stuff happens when you set up perverse incentives. People behave that way when you you, you play with money and with time. I and have with seen pressure.
0: physicians look at the chart to see what the insurance is in
1: mm-hmm. deciding
0: how quickly they discharge people. I real, oh, and, wow, in labor and delivery, I have seen that postpartum floors absolutely.
1: Mm. Oh wow. absolutely
0: yeah. the way, yeah, and not even that I'm not saying every physician, but even the way they're treated, the way they treat the patient um, it's like. Uh, It's um, almost like they they see that they're public; they're not private insurance, and they immediately are annoyed with them. Like, well, the Mayo Clinic recently, but I do see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, it seems like it should be part of the Hippocratic Oath, or it it is part of the Hippocratic Oath to treat all of your patients with the same, you know, um, determination to do them good. But you know, some patients are more are, are worth more than others, and I mean, the Mayo Clinic itself, I believe, is the Mayo Clinic. Uh, actually came out a couple of years ago and said, of course we treat our privately insured patients differently because they make so much more. Uh, they, they allow us that? to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm quite sure it's the Mayo Clinic. Um, wow. they, you know, they got a lot of pushback, but you know, the fact is that's the way people are behaving right now. Um, that, I used to have, have one physician, this
0: is a great example that would, because the The patient's insurance would barely pay to do a circumcision, okay? So if they had um, public insurance, he would say, I will do it, but you'll have to pay me cash. This was going on in the hospital. An an OBGYN saying, cash only, because this is the type of insurance. Otherwise, you'll have to be discharged. I'm not, I, I can't make this up. Yes. So he would collect cash and he would like over cash only, it's got to be cash or I can't do it. It, Is that not insane?
2: Yes. I'm telling you this stuff
0: goes on everywhere. So is that the difference you think in in other countries when you compare dialysis in the U S versus other countries? Is it because bottom line is because of the way that, um, their healthcare system is set up structurally, that there is not this internal competition between private public insurance and that a lot of other countries just have it one way where it's insurance for all. Like where, where did you find these differences are coming from?
1: It's definitely exactly what you said, Jessica. It is the fact that there isn't a profit motive for individual patients. I mean, as a doctor, as a nurse, as a tech, as a whatever, as a janitor in a hospital, you get paid a salary, right? And it doesn't that does not take into account how many patients you treat in a given day, week, month, year. you get paid a salary um It's called national health. Um, yeah. you are a government employee uh, in, right. you know, and and um and you know the people who have been brainwashed to think socialized medicine is a bad thing. Well, I mean, we have socialized war, we have socialized firefighting, we have socialized policing um i don't see why we shouldn't have. Um, you know, take the profit motive out of out of medicine in, in in a way that allows people to do the job, focus on the key thing of the job, which is making this person well, or at least making them as healthy as they can be. Um, and at the same time, living a good life themselves and not having this terrible tug of war between what the boss quite often, you know, has a white collar and has never done a medical procedure in their lives and my conscience are telling me to do which is like mm-hmm. this, I'm a tug of war, right? And I'm supposed to be taking care of these people. I'm a nurse. And, and, and yet this, you know, this the CFO is getting on my case because I don't see enough patients. This is true of doctors is true at every level. Um, that is a fundamental problem. I mean, I, you know, I've lived, I've spent a lot of time in Italy. I'm, I'm, but I'm American and I, you know, I have American healthcare and all that. I don't have, I'm not on the national health system in Italy. The few times I've had to get treatment, I've gone in and said, look, I'm not on national health. I'm ready to pay. I've got a credit card. I've got, and they look at me like, one, it's, one time someone actually got angry, like, put your wallet away. This is ridiculous. You need to <laughs> you know, sit down. I'll do the procedure. It's, I'm here to make you well. And, and, and like, what did you, what did you just say?
0: I know we're not <laughs> used to that. Yeah. We're not I know. I thought, I
1: thought maybe they were joking or what I had said. And then afterwards I thought, but that's that's kind of, that's kind of the way it should be, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's easy for me to say, I don't work in the healthcare world, but, um, but that was a person who liked their work, was, was good at it, and didn't want me to come in here waving my, you know, greenbacks and saying, you know, I'll pay you extra, basically, because, I don't know, um, it it was, it's been an eye-opener, and, and that the difference between, privately insured and the publicly insured
0: that's so true like a nurse that's getting paid hourly we half the time or most of the time we don't even know what insurance they're on we right. that is not something that we care about we look at but now a physician that's getting paid differently for what they do based on what the insurance is is making a conscious effort to go and look at that so they are i'm sorry but they're going to be treated differently yeah. the majority of times they are. Um, but you're right. If if you're getting paid, let's say, as a physician, and you're getting paid the same amount, regardless of if you see five patients versus 25 in a day, and you're doing it the right way, then there isn't this push to get in and out. And there isn't this push to treat people differently. I mean, I it, it just yeah. seems like it makes the most sense.
2: What do nephrologists in other countries think of the way that we practice dialysis here? I'm I'm sure they have opinions on it. And I know you interviewed a lot of nephrologists.
0: I see Tom laughing over there. This must be interesting.
2: Yeah, you have
1: to laugh or you cry, right? I mean, several nephrologists said what is going on when when they finally realized that I had paid attention and I, well, I wasn't a medical person, but I had paid attention to really good medical people, they sort of took me aside and said, what is going on over there? What? And, and one Australian nephrologist, my quote quite often um, in my book, John Agar, he said, you uh, know, I, I, I've told my American colleagues many times, you have to stop killing your
2: patients. <laughs> You know, this is, you told me that's at the, at the, you know, yeah, at the, at the, our the, mortality you know, rate are significantly worse than pretty much every other country. Right. And, and, you know, you can make yeah. the argument, well, that's because Americans in general are not as healthy. And we have, you know, like the, the obesity, the hypertension and the di- the diabetes that all lend to, um, you know, kidney failure. You could make that argument, but but really it's the practice of dialysis and the way that we administer it here more so than not, wouldn't you say?
1: I mean, I, and it's not just me that's saying it, it's peer-reviewed medical researchers who are saying that high UFR, short treatment dialysis, and this is in America and everywhere in else. UFR everywhere for we, those that
2: don't know? ultrafiltration, ultra-filtration
1: rate. ultra rate. Yeah. Um, basically, okay. the speed at which you're you're, 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 you're running the, um, the, the, um, the filtration process, um, and the removal of liquids. Ultimately the faster you do it and the higher pressure and the shorter the treatment time, the sooner the patient dies. This is a very clear linear relationship. This is not mysterious. It's true everywhere. Um, and the fact that our average ultrafiltration rate and, and treatment times are significantly shorter and higher um than than other places that there's a correlation this is not this is causation this is not right. uh, a coincidence um and 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 again other other things that are easily measured you know the infection rates and the uh, and coronary problems and hospitalization rates and transfusion rates i mean if you compare it's hard to compare you're you're right that different national health systems have you know different parameters but ultimately um, You know, the, the results are shockingly bad for a place that, again, charges shockingly more for that mm-hmm. same treatment. And we're talking, you know, mortality around 20 percent for for America, nine um, to 12 percent for Western Europe, five to six percent for Japan. Wow. And, you know, people say, well, you know, it's a, a, another thing I've heard a lot of is, oh, yeah, well, we take everybody into dialysis, including people who in other countries are just allowed to die. Well, first of all, I beg to differ. I, I, yeah. I think that is, that is a gross overstatement. And I also would say, and this is another thing that comes out of my book, that a lot of people are swept into dialysis who yes. probably shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, someone yeah. who is in a nursing home and not compost mentis, who is carried on their stretcher into the dialysis facility three times a week and hooked up to that machine and then carried back, and and she doesn't even know what is going on. I don't know. Um, I, as one of the nephrologists I, I interviewed who who worked at the VA um, said, you know, he's really worried about people being being swept into dialysis who don't who don't need it, and he's really worried about people having horrible end of life experiences who should not be subjected to right. you know, and the preventative side of things and 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 the cons- conservative treatment um not to mention you know breakthrough new drugs Ozempic, Wegovy, and various other things that mm-hmm. apparently have really really breakthrough you know those are not brought up because the dialysis machine and to simplify one of the reasons those are not a major point of discussion is because you make so much money getting someone on dialysis and it's just the way things it's it makes so much money it's also just the way practice has evolved um that's the way many nephrologists think. So well, just get them on dialysis, and then we can manage their care. Like, well, are
0: Are they being paid off? Like, oh, the people probably. that do—that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, the people that are supposed to be looking at these—you know—there's always a trial well, of things technically before they're implemented via the DeVita, machine or whatever. DeVita
2: is donating to politicians? campaign. That's what like I'm it's, getting it's at. There, so there's got to be
0: there's a payoff somewhere that it's technically you know it's okay for them to change these rates, these parameters, basically to however they want because it. I mean, otherwise, like why? I. I'm just it's not. A, it's
1: a really good question. I mean, you know, uh, huh, uh, it's in, ever since Citizens United, uh, unlimited anonymous corporate donations and other donations to. Politics is blessed by the Supreme Court, right? So, so it's by no means only DeVita and Fresenius that are making corporate um, donations, uh, but you know that that weighs on on the argument. Um, but more than anything else, it's it's if you have a group of doctors, and this is something that several several um, nephrologists said to me on the record, you know, if you have a group of nephrologists who who basically they okay. I'm a big dialysis company. I come to you and say, how'd you like to make $7 million? Um, you have a practice. We will be joint joint venture with your practice. Yep. And, you know, depending on where you are, that could be a lot of money in your pocket today. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and you know you get the benefit. You can expand. You can buy new machines. Think of all the things you can do with your money. Your golf game is going to improve. Everything is looking good for you, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Except that you have, as one uh, famous nephrologist said, you give away control of your patients mm-hmm. because all of a sudden, you know, the day that that check is
2: hits the bank account, you get you have, the you corporate have sold protocol. out there in control, and it's it's unforgivable. Yeah. It is. It's, the nephrologists you need know, to you take the industry why back. why people do it. That's they they, they many, need to not sell out. And the nephrologists need yes. to take the dialysis industry back. I feel like I could talk about this all day. I still have a whole other page of questions I want to ask about this book. So we're going to have to split this into two separate episodes. Uh, come back next week for the second half. Don't forget to uh, rate, download and subscribe or follow us on all of the uh, podcast streaming platforms. And until next time on Nurses Uncorked.